So we are ending our series on faith today. We're calling it the reward of faith. And this series on faith actually was not intentionally planned as a series on faith. It kind of just happened that way. Um, And we have just been celebrating what God has been doing, and he's just been leading us from one message to the next. We started with the reality of faith, how faith pulls our hopes into reality, and is all the evidence needed to prove what is still unseen. Last week, I talked to you about the logic of faith and how even Abraham and Sarah, they believed God. Their faith, it seemed logical to them for them to put their faith in God because he had never failed them, that he had never given them a reason not to trust his goodness. And so as crazy as the the promises of God were to Abraham, it was logical for him. There was no other option for Abraham than to fully trust and fully put his faith in God. And today, we want to talk to you about the reward of faith. Are you ready? Are you excited? Is there any place else you would rather be than sitting in this seat right here, right now, for this moment? No. Tell me no. There's nowhere else you would rather. No. Yes. We are all in agreement then. Okay, here we go. Uh, Go ahead and open or turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 11, kind of where we've been hanging out recently. And we're going to read Hebrews 11 verse 1, and then we're going to jump right to verse 6, right off of verse 1. This has kind of been our theme verse throughout this series. So I'm reading from the Passion Translation. It is on the screens. Now faith, everybody say faith. Faith brings our hopes into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. How many of you have things that you're longing for right now? Things you're waiting on God for. Promises that you are just, you you cannot wait until you see them fulfilled. Faith is the foundation needed to acquire the things that we long for. It is all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. And without faith, verse 6, Living within us, it would be impossible to please God. For we come to God in faith knowing that he is real and that he rewards the faith of those who give all their passion and strength into seeking him. Read that verse again, verse 6. And without faith living within us, It would be impossible to please God, for we come to God in faith, knowing that he is real and that he rewards the faith of those who give all their passion and strength into seeking him. God rewards our faith. We are powerless to please God without faith living within us, active within us on a daily basis. We are powerless to please him. You may think that the things that you do, the ways that you give and the ways that you serve, the ways that you extend yourself, please him. But if you are not pursuing him on a daily basis, if you are not living in faith, following his leading, listening to his voice, Stepping out into the unknown and into the impossible. If you're not living in faith on a daily basis, what you do has very little consequence in the mind of God. Because our greatest accomplishments are like what to him? Filthy rags. 
outside of faith, it's not really about what we do. But in faith, through faith, and through our obedience, following his leading and obeying his word, what we do makes all the difference. Because as we talked about last week, faith without works is dead. But guess what? (laughs) Works without faith is deader. We have to be living in faith, having it active in our lives every day. Faith that pleases God. Faith that pleases God says, I know who you are, and I know who I am in you. And those two truths are all that I need. Let's go. I want to say that again. Faith that pleases God. How many of you want to please God? Without faith, it is impossible. We just read that. Faith that pleases God, it says, God, I know who you are. I have no doubt in my mind who you are. And I know who I am in you. I have no doubt about that either. I am redeemed. I am your child. I am called. I am empowered. I am victorious in you. I know who you are, and I know who I am in you. And those two truths are all that I need. That's all I need to know. Let's go, Jesus. And we walk in that understanding and in that power. He said it. Come on, we, have, we better know this by now. He said it. I believe it. I stand on it. And I move in it. Again, he said it. I believe it. I stand on it. And I move in it. Amen? Woohoo! Drop the mic. Howdy, everybody. I missed you guys last week. Really, really, really missed you. Really, really glad I'm here. Praise God. Um, not that I wasn't. Never mind. I'll just leave that there. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, your position. I know who you are, and I know who I am in you. I want to talk to you for just a minute about your position, your placement, your authority. To move in faith, you have to know your position. To move in battle, you have to know your position, correct? Or it's pure chaos. To move in courage in something, you have to know where you stand, right? Say you're proposing to your fiancé, your position better be that she wants to marry you, right? So that when you propose, she says yes. You got to know your position. You got to know your timing because if you get it wrong, that's a really bad day, right? You got to know your position in Jesus. When you say yes to Jesus... What is your position? When you invite him into your life, what does your life begin to look like? What what changes? What shifts? When you say yes to Jesus, it takes a step of faith, correct? You can't say yes to him without having faith that he is God, that he died on the cross for you, that he paid the price for you. And then when you say yes to him, it changes your position. Not only does it change your position eternally, but it changes your position right now. I'm so excited about it. It changes your position eternally that you know that heaven is is your home place. This is your kingdom. This is your place. But that it's your place right now. That your position is not just when you get there, that you are walking in the heavenly realm, in the kingdom realm right now. Hold your position. 
Our position in Jesus gives us access directly to his heart. The outflow of our position is faith and the supernatural. Naturally. Come on. When you are positioned in Christ, the natural outflow of your life is faith to move in the supernatural realm. Period. I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures this morning. I want you to write these passages down right now before I even get started because I want you to know your position. So I want you to write these down and I want this to be your study this week. I want you to read these passages of scripture over and over and over and over and over until you're sick of them, until you have them memorized, until you can read them in your head without even looking at the page. You've got to know your position. So I want you to write these passages down. Ephesians. We've been hanging out there on Wednesday night. We're going to resume our study a week from this Wednesday in chapter 3. If you haven't been here, you've got to be here. So powerful. Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2. Read them. Eat them. Chew on them. Swallow them. Digest who you are. When you eat something, it becomes a part of your physical makeup, right? Hallelujah. Whether we like it or not, those chocolate chip cookies don't just disappear when you put them in your mouth. You are what you eat. It's terrible. Okay, but not in this case. When you eat the word, it becomes who you are. It becomes a natural thought process. Naturally, I know where my position is. Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2. And then write down John chapter 16 and chapter 17. You've got to know that you know that you know. Isaiah 61. And we're not going to read these whole chapters today. I'm going to take pieces and parts out of these chapters. And if you have your Bible, highlight them, underline them. You can write in the margins, whatever you feel comfortable with. I sometimes, my, like Ephesians right now, I am just, it's just, there's a mess in here. (laughs) There's so much good, and I don't want to forget it. Okay, you got your, you got your meal for the week? Okay, when we come back, there's going to be a test. (laughs) Do you know what the test actually is? That this week you live it out. That you live out your position in faith. This is who I am, this is who he says I am, and this is where I stand, and this is how I move. So first we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1, and I don't have specific verses, I just wrote down little blurbs that I really liked out of Ephesians chapter 1. What is our position in Christ? We are wrapped into Christ. You are wrapped into Christ. When God looks at you, who does he see? When you say yes to Jesus, he becomes one with you. And when God the Father looks down at you, he sees his son because you are wrapped in his son, which means you are wrapped in purity, which means you are wrapped in perfection, means you are wrapped in authority. Come on. That's your position. You are wrapped in Jesus. He paid everything for you to have everything. He paid all of it for you to be completely free from all of it. You are wrapped in Christ. For it is always in his perfect plan 
to adopt us as his delightful children through our union with Jesus. You're adopted. You're adopted. There's a song, a kid's song. I'm adopted. I'm adopted. (laughs) It's a kid's song, but it's our song. What is your position in Christ? You are now a child of the king. We talked about adoption a couple weeks ago. And when you are adopted into the kingdom, it means that you become just like a biological child. His blood flows through your veins. Right, Mason? He's not in here to affirm with me. But little Mason, when he accepted Jesus, he said, Jesus, I want you in my blood. He's five. Woo! That was his prayer. You are one with him. You have become his child. And if you're God's child and he's the king of the universe and he has a kingdom, then what does that make you? An heir. You're an heir, right? What is my position? I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I'm an heir in the kingdom. We together in unity are his bride. What is our position as the body of Christ? We are his bride. When he looks at his church, he sees his bride. He sees greater things than we can possibly imagine. And he is eager for his bride to be eager for him. Together in unity. Not just Lifeway Church, but the church of Tuscarawas County, the Big C Church, to move together in unity. That is our prayer. And I pray that you are praying that every single day. That when you encounter a believer, whether they're Catholic, Presbyterian, Methodist, Pentecostal, whatever, that our unity is in Christ. They will know us by our love for each other. What is my position? To be his bride. To be in unity and love with fellow believers. Come on. Period. End of story. Not and or if they do this, that, or the other. No, you throw that away. That isn't your responsibility. This isn't a fight. This isn't a, we don't, we, we need unity. There's enough chaos in the world right now. Come on, just watch the news. Just look at Facebook. Good grief, you don't even have to turn on the news. You'll get 20,000 different messages about how everything is going to, yeah, okay. <laughs> Jesus said, you will know us by our love for each other and for the people that need him, are dying without him. We move in love, period. That is our position in Christ. We are his bride, and we're going to get to be together, together forever. Period. End of story. This is just the beginning, church. This is just the beginning, There's so much more. Let's jump to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. He raised us up as one with Christ, the exalted one. And we ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm. For we are now co-seated with Christ. Boom, shakalaka-laka. Ha! Boom, shakalaka. We are co-seated with Jesus. And it says there's a key word in that passage that I just love. It says now. Now we are co-seated. Am I making it up? Not when we get there. Now. It says glorious perfection about you. Authority of the heavenly realm is yours. 
You have actually been united with Christ today, now, tomorrow, the next day. He is your identity. He is your position. And if we can wrap our minds around the fact that there is a supernatural realm, there is a heavenly realm that we have access to right now, the problem that is staring you in the face, you can instead face, instead of facing the problem in the natural realm, you can go above the problem. You can say, okay, God, give me a new vision. Give me a new sight for this problem. I'm not going to succumb to the negative of this problem. I'm going to overpower this problem with your glory and your wisdom and your power, and I'm going to let you move because I have access, because I am co-seated with Christ, because I have authority in Jesus' name. So when you look at a problem and it looks horrible, when you look at a situation in your life and it looks bleak, you can go higher in your thinking. And that is hard to do because that's not what this world says to do. I mean, it's all going to hell in a handbasket, right? Go higher. Go higher. You are here. Heaven is here. The kingdom is now. And through faith, <laughs> woo! through faith, Jesus makes it all possible. There is no limit unless you put a limit on it. There's another verse in verse 10. 2.10, Ephesians. We are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Joined, co-seated. Union. We've gone over these and over these the last few weeks, but we got to keep going over them and over them until it seals in our brain. I am co-seated with you, Jesus. What you see, you can help me see. I am joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Okay, jump to verse 13. Yet look at you now. This is Paul talking to the Ephesians. Everything is new. When you say yes to him, you are made new. Does that mean the past is tied to your ankles and is dragging behind you? Come on. Does that mean you carry those suitcases from when this happened and that happened with you every day? Drop them. He has broken every chain. The past is gone. The new has come. Come on. You got to stop living back there. You got to stop letting back there define today and tomorrow. That does not define you. What Jesus has done, the perfection, the authority, and the forgiveness on the cross, and the grace and the mercy have erased that, and you stand brand new. So stop claiming that as your excuse for your behavior today. Stop saying, well, I had this problem, and so it just came out. No, Jesus paid for it. It's done. Go higher. Go higher. I keep, that's the word the Lord keeps giving me for today. It's time to go higher in our thinking. Come on. Jump down to verse 18. And now, because we are united to Christ. Woohoo! There's that word again. We both, Jews and Gentiles, in parentheses I added that, we both have equal and direct access in the realm of the Holy Spirit to come before the Father. Just in case you forgot, about two minutes ago I said that you have direct access to the heavenly realm. Just in case you forgot, it's there again. Just to confirm it one more time, what do we have access to? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have direct access to the heavenly realm, direct access to the Father. 
This is our position. This is our authority. Ephesians 19, 2.19. The rights of family members of the household of God. We're adopted. We're family. This means that God is transforming, in verse 22, this means that God is transforming each one of you into the holy of holies, his dwelling place through the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. Before this time, before Jesus, the holy of holies was in a temple created by human hands, and only one priest could encounter the holy of holies, could encounter the presence of God at a time. Only one. He has changed everything. Because now the Holy of Holies is not a building. The Holy of Holies is not a tent. The Holy of Holies is inside of each and every one of us. You now hold, host, and cohabitate with the Creator inside of you. You carry Him with you wherever you go. He is in you. I've been doing this Graham Cook study with Jane, and it's all about the, the game changers and your identity and your thought process, and that, that hit me so hard. You know, we think of God out around us and with us, you know, he's there, but I, I sometimes forget that he's right in here. We tell our kids, Jesus is in your heart. He is in, inhabiting your very being. There's proof right here in the scriptures that says you have become the holy of holies, So when I wake up in the morning and I'm already thinking negative thoughts, I'm not marrying to the holy of holies inside of me. I'm seeing the world around me and letting it influence me. I've got to shut that down and marry myself to the holy of holies and say, Jesus, what do you have for me today? How are you going to work? I'm in pain. Will you heal my body? I know this is happening and I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give this to you and I'm going to ask you to help me in this area. And I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to help me tame my tongue. I'm going to ask you to help me do this, do that, the other. He is in you. You have full access to the power of the Holy Spirit to move in complete freedom from anything that the world tries to, that the enemy tries to beat you down with. See, we can't blame people around us because they're not on our enemy. We have to be careful because we make who hurt us our enemy and our enemy is the enemy of our souls, not the people around us. And I, I know we've said this before, but your part of being the holy of holies is saying, Jesus, you help me forgive. Help me to live and breathe like you would. Help me have your tone. Help me have your sight for this person, even though they have broken my heart. Help me to love like you love. Because the holy of holies, you are right here. You are in me. I am your temple. Jump ahead. Let's go to, and actually we're going to change books now. John chapter 16, verse 26 through 27. And I will not need to ask the Father on your behalf, for you ask him directly because of your new relationship with me. Jesus is talking. And I will not need to ask the Father on your behalf, for you'll ask him directly because of your new relationship with me. For the Father tenderly loves you. Because you love me and believe that I have come from God. No longer do we need a priest, the high priest, 
was the source of the holy of holies, was the source of the power and presence of God. No longer do we need that Jesus wraps around us and gives us access to the Father. I keep having this mental image when I pray that I'm walking into the throne room and saying, hey, Daddy, what's up? And there are times when I can't stand in the throne room, and then there are times where I can look at him, and this is all in my imagination. Just go with it. But that we get to walk into the throne room now, that we have access to our dad, our father, our king now, that we can approach him with boldness now through Jesus He has given us direct access to our Father. And sometimes I don't think we process that freedom, that power to go to him and say, oh, hey, I need your help. Or can you just, I just want to know something new today. This is the intimacy. This is the holy of holies inside of you. This is what lives in you. He is in you. He is pouring through you. I can't repeat it enough. We can't say it enough. This is your position in Christ as you are now seated in the heavenly realm. No one can take that from you. No one can take that from you. It's your surrender to him that you have access. John 17, Jesus prays for you. This is Jesus' words about us. Verse 20 through 23, I'm just going to read 20 and 21. And I ask not only for these disciples, but also for those who will one day believe in me through their message. That's us. I pray for them all to be joined together as one, even as you and I, Father, are joined together as one. I pray for them to become one with us. He said it. I believe it, I'll stand on it, and I'll move in it. And that settles it. I like that. But the last part of this is, I pray for them to become one with us so that the world will recognize that you sent me. See, the key to the world knowing him is that you become one with him, is that you become one as the body, and we become one as his bride. That's the key for the world to know that he is real. It's for you to embrace your position, for you to know beyond the shadow of a doubt who you are, who you belong to, and what authority you have. In Isaiah 61, verse 6 through 9, Just verse 6 is is so powerful. It says, but you will be known as priests of Yahweh. This is a prophetic word. At the beginning of this passage, Jesus says, he talks about him coming to deliver the word. Him coming. What is that? How does it go? The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. This is that passage. He follows up his calling to go to your calling, to your position. There was one priest that can encounter the presence. Now it's changing. It's shifting because the sun has come. 
But you will be known as priests of Yahweh and called servants of our God. You will feast on the wealth of the nations and revel in their riches because you received a double dose of shame and dishonor. You will inherit a double portion. Guess what's coming back to you when you step in your identity? A double portion of grace, a double portion of honor, a double portion of mercy, a double portion of love, a double portion of whatever the enemy has stolen from you will come back to you in Jesus' name. That is a promise. A double portion. I am living proof. I've seen this reality over and over and over again. It's true. You are priests in the kingdom. You are priests in the kingdom. Don't let the enemy tell you anything else. You are not less than. You are not the dirt on his shoe. You are a priest in the kingdom. You have position. You have authority. How? Because you are in Christ. Because you are wrapped in him. And as a result, boom, as a result is restoration. As a result is redemption. As a result is, the Bible says it, Jesus says it, and Isaiah, as a result is a double portion. A double portion. I don't know if that's, wow. Because of your faith in Christ, our position, our faith, our position is restoration, and it will be a natural outflow. You won't have to make it happen. You position yourself in him, and restoration just pours out. God rewards our faith with restoration. We've already read it in Hebrews 11, verse 6. He rewards our faith, and he rewards our faith with restoration. Whether the suffering comes from the activity of the devil or it's self-inflicted, because God has mercy and grace upon us. So whether it's an attack of the enemy or whether the suffering that we're going through is self-inflicted because of a choice that we've made, God can still reward our faith in him through restoration. Let's think about Job for a minute. It says in Job chapter 1 that when the angels came to present themselves before the throne of God, Satan accompanied them. And God looked at Satan. He said, where have you come from? And Satan says, I've been scouring the earth, roaming back and forth upon it. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? He is an upright man. He's full of integrity. There is no one else on the earth like him. And so long story short, God says to Satan, he is in your hands. And so the first test, the enemy takes everything away from Job. He takes his livestock. He takes his sons and his daughters. Job loses it all. They're all dead. Yet Job, he falls to the ground. He tears his robe. And the Bible says he worships God. The word says In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. So Job's second test, again, the angels present themselves before the throne. Satan accompanies accompanies them. God says, where have you come from? He says, "I've I've come from the earth, roaming back and forth. God again says, have you considered my servant Job? God says, you can do anything that you want. He's in your hands, but you cannot take his life. So the enemy 
inflicts Job physically this time, probably almost to the breaking point of death. Yet Job worships God. He does not blame God. Even his wife comes in and says, darling, just curse God and die. And Job says, what are you talking about? Can we accept blessing from God and not trouble? Do we blame him or do we stay stay persistent in our faith? Even though Job had lost everything, he knew who his God was and his faith stayed steadfast. That means fixed in direction. He did not waver. His faith did not falter. There was no other direction to go for Job than to stay faithful to his God. And many theologians, they, they say pretty much from Job 1 to Job 42 was probably about a 15-month duration. So this did not happen within the course of a couple days. Even his friends with the best of intentions came to him and said, Job, 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 Job. Obviously, man, you have screwed up because everything that you're going through, no way would that be happening if you were a man of integrity, if you really were. Because see, here's the thing about Job. Job knew who he was, and even after all of these conversations with his friends trying to talk him in to something wrong that he did, Job still stayed even faithful to who he knew he was in God, that he didn't do anything wrong that the trials he were experiencing were not the result of a decision that he made. For 15 months, Job endured. He stayed faithful, knowing that his God would come through for him. And God rewards faith with restoration. This is what it says in Job 42. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much twice as much as he had lost. It goes on to say that the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former, and he restored to Job 14,000 sheep, twice as much as he had. Can you imagine 14,000 sheep? That's a lot of sheep. 6,000 camels. A thousand yoke of oxen and a thousand donkeys. He also gave back to Job seven sons and three daughters. Because God rewards faith with restoration every time. We were doing a devotion with our girls last night, and this is how God works. This is what part of our devotion said. Listen to this. If you are going through a trial today, know this. If God allows you to go through it, he promises to get you through it. Check the screens. When you come out on the other side, you'll also be upgraded. If you're a Christian, here it is. Trials aren't happening to you. They are happening for you. Trials aren't happening to you. They're happening for you because we're called to rejoice in our sufferings. Because suffering produces endurance, which produces character, which produces hope. Job's sufferings weren't happening to them. They were happening for him, for his good, for his restoration. Because God wasn't causing it to happen, but God works in what is happening in our lives to produce all things that are good for us. 
every time. It's his nature. It's who he is. In 1 Peter chapter 5, listen to the words of Peter. If you bow low in God's awesome presence, he will eventually exalt you as you leave the timing in his hands. Pour out all your worries and stress upon him and leave them there. Leave them there. For he always tenderly cares for you. Be well balanced and always alert because the devil roams around incessantly like a roaring lion looking for its prey to devour. Didn't we just hear that? Isn't that how Satan responded to God twice? God says, where have you come from? He says, I came from roaming the earth, going back and forth through it. Take a decisive stand, church, against him and resist his every attack with strong, vigorous faith. That's our word. Faith is what? It's your shield in the armor of God. Faith defends every flaming arrow of the enemy. It's your faith that you use to combat his every scheme. Faith, it's your shield. For you know that your believers and brothers and sisters around the world are experiencing the same kind of troubles you endure. And here we go. You ready? It's kind of like, you ever go on a roller coaster? Like Millennium Force at Cedar Point? How many roller coaster fans do I have? Yes, I love roller coasters. It's kind of like you're, you know, you're way at the top of the very first hill and you're just starting to crest over to the drop down. We're cresting over right here in this verse. And then, after your brief suffering, everybody say brief. Brief suffering. The God of all loving grace who has called you to share in his eternal glory. We're co-seated with Christ in heavenly places. He will personally and powerfully restore you and make you stronger than ever. Yes, he will set you firmly in place and build you up. And he has all the power needed to do this forever. Amen. Amen. That's the word. That's his promise. He will personally and powerfully restore you when you come to him in faith. And guess what, church? Peter's the one who wrote this. And boy, oh boy, did Peter know what he was talking about. Do you remember Peter? The one who denied knowing Jesus three times? He felt extreme guilt and shame for his decision. Who wouldn't? right before the person you love more than any other person in this world is executed for doing nothing wrong. And you, you look him in the eye and you say, I will never, ever, ever, ever disown you. And three times, back to back to back, did Peter say, I don't know who he is. I don't know who you're talking about. I've never met the guy. I don't know him. And Peter felt extreme shame and guilt. But guess what? Peter lost his identity and who he was, but he never lost faith in Jesus. Jesus restores Peter. He restores his identity as a fisher of men because Peter never lost faith, and Peter had a heart of repentance. He was so very sorry for denying Jesus. And we know that Peter goes on to do incredible things for the church and for the kingdom 
right? He stands up on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 get saved. Just the, the power, he is so empowered by the Holy Spirit throughout the rest of his ministry that people literally line up in the streets so that when he walks by, his shadow falls over them and they're healed. Because Jesus had restored his identity. Peter went back to his former job. He was a fisherman. But check this out. Something I really didn't put together until studying this. When Peter chooses to return to his old life, Jesus had already been resurrected. Peter had actually encountered Jesus twice. Jesus had appeared to his disciples twice after he had been resurrected. Yet even after seeing Jesus twice, the resurrected Christ, Peter still goes back to his former life because he is so ashamed of what he did. Yet Jesus encounters Peter the same way as he encountered him the first time, the miracle of the fish. And over breakfast that Jesus cooked for them, I'd love Jesus to cook me some breakfast. Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Three times. Yes, yes, yes. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Because here is what we struggle with so often. We have every bit of confidence that we know who God is. Peter knew Jesus. He had been resurrected. He would fulfilled the promise. He was the Messiah, the resurrected Christ. But even after two encounters with Jesus, he still didn't know who he was in Christ. He still went back to his former life. Instead of being a fisherman, he went back to just fishing for fish. Instead of being the rock that God had, or Jesus had renamed him as, no longer is your name Simon, it's Peter now. You are a rock. And on the revelation that you have received, I will build my church. But yet when Jesus speaks identity into him, he restores Peter back to who he was before because Jesus restores, he rewards faith with restoration every time. Amen? Man, it's powerful. Peter's source was Jesus. Job's source was our Heavenly Father. The cool part about Job I've been reading this book. It's called Visions from Heaven. It's by Wendy Alex. She endured a serious illness for two years. She felt abandoned by God. And God took her into his arms and healed her. And in this part, she's talking to the Lord about Job. And he says, The major difference between Job and my children today is the atonement. The issue is that my children may still be assaulted and violently sifted, but they now hold a major weapon against the devil in their arsenal, the atonement. But even after the cross, the devil still has access to the saints until he is thrown down to earth by Michael during the tribulation. And we, as the body, hold authority in Christ through the atonement, through his blood on the cross. What is our source of victory in a trial? The atonement of Jesus Christ. 
What is our position? His daughters and his sons. What do we have access to? Every heavenly riches. All of the heavenly riches. Ephesians 1.22 says, He alone is the leader and source of everything needed in the church. He alone, not money, is the source of everything needed in the church. Not even us is the source of everything needed in the church. He alone is the source, amen, of everything we need. Praise God. Praise God. He takes us and he moves us from our old identity into our new identity. Peter, did Peter deserve that? No, but Jesus loved Peter so much, and that's the same love he has for each one of us. That restoring power, that he is our source. That when we wait on him, when we wait on him to move, it is better than you can possibly think or imagine. Come on. Colossians 3.1, just one more. Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. Come on. Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. That same power that raised Jesus up out of that grave lives in you. This is why we are to yearn for all that is above. Yearn for all that is above. In, in the KJV, it says, seek the things above. Go higher in your thinking about your situation. You don't understand it. The trial seems impossible. You go higher and you rest in him because his restoration is coming. It's a promise. What's the beginning of restoration? Rest. How do you see his restoration come about? You rest in him for he is your source. I want to share a testimony with you right now because the revelation says by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, faith will rise. So I want to share a testimony with you. I want to have TJ and Muffy come to the stage right now. Come on, guys. Get ready. Put on your seatbelts. This is crazy. Restoration. He always comes through. They're going to share a story with you. So they asked me to give a, a testimony today, and I thought, wow, what? What's my testimony? And um, I didn't really think I had one. Um, I've been in church since I was carried in, <laughs> you know, basically. Um, and really didn't think I had a testimony to give. You know, this has been my life. What can anybody get out of that? And then I got to thinking about different things that has happened throughout my life. And, um, <laughs> sorry, I was playing football one time and had my hip hurt pretty bad, didn't know what was wrong with it, and went to the doctor and I was told that I had cancer on my hip, and uh, they didn't know what was wrong or, or what kind it was, and they was going to have to do all these tests. And my granddad laid hands on me that day and prayed that everything was going to be okay. And we went back to the doctor, and he said that, you know what, from the scans, it's not grown anything. It's non-benign. It's not going to be a worry. There's, there's nothing there to, to worry about. Pretty awesome, right? <laughs> And 
few years later, playing baseball, I cracked a kneecap. And during all that, got to the hospital, and they said, eh, no, you're fine, after people had laid hands on me. Uh, there was no cracked kneecap. I can go on and on and on about all the miracles that have been performed on me. And my position has always been in the church. I've always been a believer. So I can't say that I've had this big, huge transformation in my life that I know that there was one time that God said, here we go. It's been consistent. But my testimony is prayer works. It don't matter if it's something small or something large, like praying for a beautiful wife who's standing here beside me today that I never thought would happen. There's been uh, many prophetic words spoken over us. We have tried for two years uh, to start uh, her and I's own family. Uh, I was blessed with two young boys whenever I married in, and I told her from the beginning that that was going to be perfectly fine with me if we weren't blessed with a baby. I, you know, I loved, I loved our family the way it was, and there was many prophetic words spoken over us that we would have a baby. And I remember on a Wednesday night praying, and I told God, I said, listen, if you're going to have us have a baby, I want to know. Tell me. <laughs> you know, pretty, pretty, pretty blunt, right? Um, and believe it or not, he said, you're going to have a baby. <laughs> Was that me, or did I just hear something? Um, so I... I told Chandra and I told a few of our friends, I said, hey, we're going to have a baby. They're like, wait, we're pregnant? You're pregnant? No, no, God told me. Well. <laughs> Your turn. He is so good. And there is something about resting and that waiting and just knowing and having that faith. And two years test after medicine, negative tests, see those negative tests, we finally got our positive. <laughs> and so we went to the doctor like you would do <laughs> at our first ultrasound. And he said, you're going to have twins.
double portion, baby. Double portion. Nursery workers, get your arms ready. Can we stand, please? You guys stay. Don't leave. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Two years. Did you catch that? Two years of waiting on God, of hearing his prophetic words spoken over and over and over again, holding on to that word, standing on that word, crying because it was another negative, hurting because it was another negative. (laughs) Not today, Satan, not today. (laughs) We have two little bundles of joy, evidence of a double portion of his presence. I don't have to say anything else. That's really rare that I'm at a loss for words. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Right now, I want your faith to be active right now. Whatever you're believing for, right now, just go into a time of prayer with the Lord. Thank him. Praise him. You are good, God. You are good, God. And we praise you for this miraculous touch that not just one miracle, but two miracles and many, many more. God, I pray over these babies. I pray for their future. I pray for their sons and the ones to come. I pray for their their anointing right now in the womb, their health, Jesus, a whole healthy pregnancy in Jesus' name. And we thank you and we can't praise you enough for these babies to be born and for these babies to shake the ground, to shake the ground for the kingdom, to shake the ground for the kingdom. (laughs) They have an inheritance. They have a destiny. And we call out right now, destiny in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. That they will know like TJ has known every day of his life where he belongs and who he belongs to. That they will walk solid in their faith. That they will see victory and that they will know you. And they will come to know you in such a powerful way that they will begin to deliver your word. They will begin to deliver your life to everyone around you just by loving people. I can see them. Jesus, we praise you. And Father, right now I agree over this body. I agree over your church, your bride. Father, we praise you and we thank you. And those that are waiting, those that are waiting for your restoration, may they know that it's here and now. May they know that they, as they wait, as they trust, double portion. May they know that your healing power is flowing and moving and there is not one day that you sleep or slumber but that you are always working even when they can't see it with their natural eye. I pray that their faith eye would be encouraged today, that it would be increased, that they would remember their position. We will remember our position and we will stand and we will trust and we will walk out your restoration because we are all walking examples of restoration because we have all have relationship with you. And if there's anyone in the house right now that does not have a relationship with Jesus, this is your moment to be restored. This is your moment to be made whole. This is your moment to know him He is here, and he loves you, and he has the miraculous ready to encounter your life and flip it upside right in Jesus' name. All you have to do is say, yes, Jesus, I receive your salvation. I receive your work. I receive your forgiveness. Receive it right now. Be made whole right now. Right now. Salvation is yours in Jesus' name. You are saved. You are redeemed. You are restored. 
Jesus, I thank you that you are moving and you are active. I pray that your power would flow through every believer in this house this week, that they would encounter people and people would just be so hungry. The field is ripe for harvest and we would be able to deliver your word with accuracy from our position, from our heavenly position that we would be able to give out your riches, give out your love, give out your passion, give out your freedom, give out your healing. Let us pour out your authority in Jesus' name, for this is who we are as your bride. In your name we pray. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.